The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Sue and I are so grateful. Uh, we have passed our 13-month anniversary at BBC and it has been a beautiful, wonderful, awesome experience. Uh, we're so thankful for all of you, for our pastor, for the opportunity to uh, be a part of this body of believers. A man approached a Little League baseball game, and he thought he would sit in the bleachers and watch what was going on. And he went up to one of the little boys sitting in the dugout, and he said, How are you doing? And the boy said, Well, we're losing 18 to nothing. And the man said, oh, you must be so discouraged. He said, no, sir, we haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> now that's optimism. As we come to 1 Peter this afternoon, we find that Peter was addressing a group of believers who were very discouraged. We're suffering. In fact, suffering and discouragement and trials are a major theme of 1 Peter. And as a result of that, Peter opens up this book with a tremendous praise and blessing to God Almighty that gives everyone a reason to rejoice in the Lord even on their worst day, even when you've lost your cell phone and you've lost your computer. We have every reason to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us, reminded them and us today, that we can find hope in a sin-cursed world. And that's the title to our message this afternoon. If you haven't opened your Bibles yet to 1 Peter chapter 1, for context's sake, we'll begin in verse 1. But our study this, morning, this afternoon will be in verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your inspired, infallible word. On this we stand. We thank you for the timeless truths, not only for Peter's day, but for our day that can lift our spirit, encourage our soul, 
And help us when we're discouraged, afflicted, or wondering what we're going to do tomorrow. You are our God. You are our God of salvation. You are our rock and our refuge. We ask for your blessing on the reading of your word, the study of your word this afternoon. Please take these feeble lips and bring the truth to God's people today at BBC. In Jesus' name, amen. Following Peter's introduction in verses 1 and 2, he begins this paragraph with a doxology, a praise to God the Father. In verse 3, we see, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is similar fashion to some of Peter's other letters, and, or not Peter, but Paul's letters, including what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You see, the two apostles beginning some of their letters in the very same fashion. This word blessed, as you know, can be translated in some translations of Bibles, has the word praise. It is to exude praise, to give honor and glory to our great God. And He is deserving of all the glory and praise that you and I can give Him. This word also means to speak well of. And we have every reason to speak well of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for their ministries in our lives. And so the object of our praise ought to always be God. To a people, to myself, and perhaps you find yourself often wanting praise instead of deflecting praise and saying it is God, to God be the glory, great things He hath done in our lives. We also notice here the focus is on God the Father. Why is that? Well, we might cite because He is the author of our inheritance through Jesus Christ, His Son. First John chapter 4, verse 14 states, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we believe the Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal in essence. Yes, they have different roles, but we believe in the Trinity and they are co-equal. They are God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We see that very clearly in Matthew 28, 19, that we're to baptize them in the, in the name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. I can't fully explain that to you, though. That's too much for my little pea brain to figure out. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is eternal. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, familiar passage, the Bible says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then that familiar passage in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of Jesus Christ, very clearly, because down in chapter 1, verse 14, we read this verse, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So what about this phrase, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that the Father and Son, as we've already cited, are one. In fact, Jesus Christ made that statement in John chapter 10, verse 30, when he said, I and the Father are one. What distinguishes the Son from the Father is not the quality of his being, for he is just as divine as the Father, as Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear, that he did not have to grasp after deity, for he was God. It is not uh, something he had to fight for. He is fully God. But we see differences in the functioning of the relationships within the Godhead, because we see both in John chapter 4, verse 34, and John chapter 6, verse 38, tells us that Jesus came to do the will of his Father, the Father in heaven. So then verse 3 goes on to make this statement, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'd like to notice in this verse, the last part of this verse, three reasons to find hope in a sin-cursed world. Is there any question that we live in a very sin-cursed world that's getting worse every day? I am appalled day by day when I watch the news to the point that I don't watch the news that much. Because I'd rather look at the good news of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ than what's going on in this sin-cursed world. But we have three great reasons found at the end of verse 3 why we ought to have hope. The first is God acts in mercy towards poor sinners like you and I. Thank God for His mercy. We see this phrase, according to His great mercy. Isn't God's mercy amazing? Because we deserve the full wrath of God. In His mercy, we don't. Those who have received Jesus Christ through saving faith. God in His great love, rich love and mercy, gives life to rebels like you and I to have eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. This word mercy literally means pity. It is the idea of showing compassion to those who are miserable. That Greek word speaks of that idea of misery, those who are just in a miserable state. And he has displayed that to you and I. Thank God for that mercy. And because he's demonstrated to us, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We ought to display mercy to one another. And why is it that sometimes we can't do that to our spouse or our children, or our brothers and sisters in Christ at church. We who are the recipients of the greatest mercy that's ever been displayed should be willing to show mercy and kindness to others. Jonathan Edwards said this, God is pleased to show mercy to his enemies according to his sovereign pleasure. Though he is infinitely above all and stands in no need of creatures, Yet he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms in the dust. That was me. That was you and I. Worms 
in the dust before God redeemed us. And then, if I'm going to quote Edwards, I have to quote John MacArthur, too, in a sermon. John MacArthur said this, Grace and mercy can be found interchangeably, but there is a shade of difference. Grace, as we know, means unmerited favor. Grace is a term that applies to the category of guilt. Mercy is a term that applies to the category of misery. Grace for our guilt and mercy for our misery. God gives us grace by forgiving our sins and God gives us mercy by relieving the consequences of our sin. Aren't we a blessed people? The blind beggar said, Son of David, have mercy on me. The tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All who've come to Christ have come the same way as miserable sinners crying out for mercy from Almighty God because we deserve hell and endless death and destruction. Matthew 5, 13 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank God for His mercy. Number two, a second reason for finding hope in this sin-cursed world is because God brings New birth to the unregenerate. God brings new birth to the unregenerate. We see in verse 3, He has caused us to be born again. What a wonderful truth. He is the one, He is the author of our salvation to cause us to be born again. We have been regenerated and we can use these terms interchangeably, born again, regenerated, regenerated, and Definition for regeneration is just literally the impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. Before I was saved, you were saved, we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. We were the walking dead. We uh, had a, back in Michigan, we had a venue about a mile from the church. Uh, and they would have uh, various programs and concerts. It was an outdoor amphitheater called Pie Knob. And they had the Grateful Dead that would come. And, I mean, they were all over the place. Talk about walking dead. Uh, they were a strange lot of people infiltrating Clarkston, Michigan for that venue for a day or two. We ought to be the Grateful Dead. <laughs> we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ who were, again, dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was confused by that. He thought he had to go back in his mother's womb. Here was a learned scholar and he did not understand what Jesus Christ had to say. And even today, I think there are many people in our country around the world who are familiar with that term, born again. Do they really know what that means. Are they just looking for some experience, ecstatic experience? Are they recognizing it is a work of God to transform our life because all of us are in need of a second birth, a spiritual birth? As we said it already, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 3 says, He's caused us to be born again. Thomas Schreiner emphasizes that this focuses 
on God's initiative in producing new life in you and I. No one can take credit for being physically born, and no one can take credit for being spiritually born, can we? It's all a work of God's grace. Only God can do that. In verses 1 and 2, Peter had made it clear that we are chosen according to the foundation of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, He predestined us according to the purpose of His will. Doctrines that also sometimes are hard to wrap our brain around, but it is God's work, God's doing, God's choosing us to be born again. James also cites in chapter 1, verse 18, by saying, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Of his own will, he brought us forth. God is the cause of our regeneration. We can't save ourselves or anyone else. God has to do the work. So what must we do in our personal evangelism? Give people the word of God. Give them the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John 3 verse 8 speaks of the mystery of this where Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And perhaps the hymn writer was thinking of these verses when he wrote, I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin. My friend, we have no reason to be downcast today. We have every reason because of the awesome mercy of God, because we are born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter speaks of that later on in this text. We ought to look at our lives as if we had a death sentence. And when people do hear the news, you are cancer-free. They are ecstatic. It is unbelievable to hear those words, cancer-free. We ought to be ecstatic. We are free from the cancer of sin. We have been born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Then Paul gives, not Paul, right, Apostle Peter gives a third reason for us to have hope. He says that God gives believers a living hope in verse 3. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That word hope speaks of something that is a certainty, an expectation that we are sure about that. It is a conviction that something will happen in the future, a sure expectation. It was a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a desperate hope, not something hoping on a faded dream. There are a lot of dead hopes out there. For 50 plus years, I have hoped that the Detroit Lions would make it to the Super Bowl. I'm ready to become a Ravens fan. 
One of my good friends who is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan says, well, the Steelers have won more playoff games and Ford Field is where the Lions play than the Lions have, which they've been zero times in the playoffs in Ford Field. I, I have little hope also as I've gotten to know some of our brothers and sisters here at BBC that I'm going to convert our Penn State fans to be Michigan Wolverine fans. Is that hopeless? Or the Maryland Terrapin fans here in our presence that you ought to root for the Michigan Wolverines. Is that going to happen? Okay. Will you join me next uh, year, next fall, when Michigan plays at Maryland? I'm going to wear maize and blue. You can wear red and yellow or those gaudy colors, whatever you want to wear. <laughs> I mean, that kind of hope is ridiculous. That's not the hope we have in Christ, is it? We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth, compared, uh, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then one other passage I'll ask you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, reading verses 14, uh, 16 through 18. And I'm sorry, in my notes, I think this is in the ESV. Second Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction... It is light and momentary compared to eternity. It is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I ask myself, and I, I have to preach to myself, why, Glenn, are you laying up treasures in earth? where moth and rust will corrupt, thieves break through and steal. Lay up our treasures in heaven for the eternal glory that awaits for us. So what is the basis of this hope? And verse 3 reminds us it is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His triumph over, over death, death indeed has lost its sting. Amen? Amen. What a wonderful news. If God raised Jesus, he will raise those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. All must come the same way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friend, if you don't have this hope, it is there for you, the gift of eternal life to be received by faith in Christ alone. I've been to too many funerals in my life. Some of them are extremely sad when we're not certain or we're certain the person is not a believer. 
It is a difficult time when an unbeliever dies, especially if they're young, to lose their life so quickly. There can be unbearable weeping and mourning. But when there is a believer that dies, what rejoicing. It, it is a sad time to say goodbye. And one of our, my mentors just passed away this past week. His name was Eugene Towns, was a missionary in the Belgian Congo, had to flee for his life at one point, became a, a pastor at the church I grew up at. And I thank God for the legacy molding my life and so many lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so my heart aches as I watched the funeral last, uh, yesterday afternoon on my computer. But I also know this truth. As 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no what? No hope. We have hope, a living hope, not a dead hope, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then the rest of the sentence, and we'll look at this fairly quickly in verses 4 and 5, explain two ways that we can have this living hope. Notice in verse 4. The Bible says, "...to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed." In the last time. Again, let me repeat the third point. A third reason why we have hope, or to find hope, it is because God gives believers a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. And the first way we have this living hope we see in verse 4 is our hope is in an inheritance. An inheritance. Now, earthly inheritance can be divided up, can be fought over, can be lost, or sometimes somebody who gets mad will write the family out of their will. That will never happen to us. We have a rich inheritance. We are adopted into the family of God and, and the doctrine of adoption. We are part of the family of God. We are a child of the King. So we have this wonderful, rich inheritance Moses spoke to the Israelites about the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, when he said, For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. That promise, and which, by the way, I don't want to jump into Pastor George's subject in Daniel. I believe it's a literal land that God has promised Israel will receive in the end times. It is coming. And all these specific promises will be fulfilled, I believe. <laughs> and if you disagree, we can have a fight in the alley afterwards. <laughs> when the New Testament uses the same word, it communicates the same idea of a promised land that is in store for God's people. It is our inheritance. And he uses several adjectives to describe this. It is an imperishable inheritance. It's not subject to decay. It will not wear out in the passage of time like your automobile might do or other things that rust and decay. It is 
an undefiled inheritance. It is not stained by sin in any way. Imagine that our inheritance is not polluted even though we are still sinners. And thank God, 1 John 1, 9, we can confess our sins regularly and we know we are forgiven when we confess our sins. And then thirdly, it's described as an unfading inheritance. That means it's permanent. And the same word is used for our word perennial. I used to get that mixed up, perennials and annuals. Which one uh, come up every year? Well, the perennials are supposed to come back every year unless you have the great curse in planting too, and they don't always come up. But it means lasting or existing for an infinite time. They come back every year. It is a perennial promise, an unfading inheritance. The end of verse 4 then goes on to say, it is kept in heaven for you. This word kept is what's called a perfect passive participle, which means it is a completed past activity by God with results that are extending into the present and the future in our life. Do we recognize this truth of an inheritance in heaven that is awaiting us? Do we recognize this? Are we resting in this gospel truth? But then we notice a second way we can have a living hope, and that is our hope is guarded by God's power, as we notice in verse 5, our, in God's power. This word guarded means to be kept safe, it, to carefully watch over, and was often used in the Greek language in a military context. It is fortified, it is protected and guarded. And we are protected and guarded like God protects his people Israel in the Old Testament days against insurmountable odds. When 185,000 people were surrounding them, they were defeated. God is our refuge and he protects your salvation and my salvation from enemy attack. The present participle in this word gives the sense of being continually guarded, not just today, but tomorrow and forevermore. We are guarded by the pr protection of God Almighty. Jude only has one chapter, but verses 24 and 25 say, And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. It is unfading. It is protected by the power of God as a fortress is. But this verse goes on to say that Christians must put their faith in God. For we see this phrase, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The Bible makes it very clear, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek Him. There's a song that goes this way, there is a Redeemer, by saying, when I stand in glory, I will see His face, and there I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Brothers and sisters, 
we can look at this passage from different perspectives. For the seasoned ones, like Sue and I are, because several of you have called us seasoned. I don't know if we should be called saints, but the seasoned of us, you know, we're, we're that much closer, although no one knows about their tomorrow of any age. But we are closer, and that inheritance looks more beautiful every day. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We ought to be longing and looking for the coming of the Lord in our eternal inheritance. But for those who are my age or older, we need to redeem the time too. Make every day count for the Lord, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Our days are numbered. To those who are younger, and we have a lot of young people in this church, and you may think, well, I've got decades and I'll wait a decade or two or three, and then I'll get serious with the Lord. Does anyone have a guarantee about tomorrow? I believe today is the day to get serious. We are so blessed with the living hope of the believer. And as I've reflected on this passage, I've often thought about the promise of eternal security that is such an encouragement it causes us to reflect that, as Second Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, to make every effort to confirm your calling and election is sure. Our walk does matter. And as James reminds us that faith without works is dead, we, we, we're not saved by works, but it's talking about authentic faith. Works bears fruit and serves the Lord with every ounce of our energy, all of our capacity. Praise the Lord for these reasons that we see in this text, to rejoice in the Lord. Why are we downcast, as the psalmist says? Well, Peter had not been written yet. But Peter gives us at least three and many other reasons why we can find hope in a sin-cursed world Songwriters encourage us with their writings such as this. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Or one other song that we actually will close with. How was Horatio Spafford able to write it as well with my soul? After the horrific tragedy, sending his family across the Atlantic Ocean to go to vacation in England as they're struck by another ship, 226 people died, including his four daughters. And when he went across the Atlantic about the same spot, he wrote the words, It is well with my soul. How was he able to do that? Because we have a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Is it well with your soul, my friend, brothers and sisters? It can be. And as Pastor George announced, there are prayer counselors after the service would love to talk with you and pray with you. As we close, look at 1 Peter 1.3 once again. According to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? God, we thank you for the rich truths of this passage. Forgive us when we are so earthly-minded. Forgive us when we are so nearsighted, short-sighted. Help us to focus on the glory that awaits all believers through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your rich mercy. Thank you that we are born again through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.